Welcome to Psychology Has It Backwards. This series will question the assumption that people are psychologically broken and need to be fixed. We will talk about how seeing people as innately healthy will change all of your interactions and outcomes. This is a true paradigm shift, and it simplifies the entire process of dealing with mental distress and allows for more profound and immediate changes. Aloha, everyone. It's uh, Christine Heath and Judy Sedgman back for another podcast episode of Psychology Has It Backwards. And the last podcast we did was kind of the importance of listening and insight in human beings' evolution, in a sense, in, in their ability to change from within. And as we were talking, one of the things that kind of came to mind was that I realized that um, one of the things that we do in working with people from this understanding of the, what we call the three principles is that we look at people in a totally different way. One of the things that the field kind of is focused on is seeing people as uh, being able to be damaged or being um, broken or mm -hmm. being somehow unhealthy. And so the treatment then is designed to treat what's unhealthy about the person. And one of the things that we've kind of been looking at that is unique is we look at people as being innately mentally healthy. Like that's kind of how we come into this world. I always think it like, you know, we get, we, like a computer comes with certain programs in it and the human being comes with certain abilities that is a gift of the energy of life or the life force. And one of those is this ability to be in a state of mind that's healthy, that it's um, a state of well-being. And that state of being exists before we can process things. It's before thought. So like a lot of times we want to like help people figure out why they're suffering now so that they can get to health. Like health was mm -hmm. a destination to me. It was a place to get people to rather than a space that exists within us. So when we started looking at how people operate, one of the things we noticed is that people have this ability to be in a, in a good place frequently, whether they're like locked away in a psych ward or they're in prison or they're just in a very, very unhappy place, that the ability to be okay is always inside. Now, they might not spend very much time there. Like for me, I, I, I would have moments of being mentally healthy, but most of the time I spent being stressed and being in a place of kind of burnout. So I didn't know that that was my home base, that that was inside of me at all times. Well, seeing that and knowing that totally changes how you interact with a person because you know they're not broken so you don't have to fix anything. You don't have to talk about what they think broke them because that sense of mental well-being is a spiritual gift, if you will. It's a gift of the spirit, and it's within every person. So we have this ability to kind of self-right no matter what's happened to us, which is why we get over anything. You know, it's kind of like 
uh, we, we get over stuff and then we get caught up in something else. So that, like looking at people as healthy and not broken or not diseased or not troubled offers a lot of hope. Not only to the client, you know, like you're telling them, you can be okay. We just have to, you know, help you to see how this is all working in you. And if you can see how it works in you, you can make some corrections and you won't suffer. But also, it, it, it does a tremendous amount for the therapist because you're spending all day talking to people about their health, which is a totally different experience than spending all day talking about their problems and what's wrong and how bad they feel and, and so at the end of the day, you're like, for me anyway, I feel better frequently at the end of my day than I do at the beginning because I get into a healthier state of mind just by being in that space in myself. So that's what we thought we'd talk about today is kind of that ability that human beings have to live in mental well-being. And if you think about it, that's why the whole field of psychology started is that people thought that there must be something deeper. There must be something that we can do to help people because we could see that people were suffering, right? So we know that, we know that, yet we've created a, a, a field that's based on looking at it backwards. It's interesting to me, listening to talking, talking about psychology, uh, you learning this as a psychologist because I didn't learn it. I became a psychologist after I learned this. And I, prior to that, and when I first learned it, I was in business and I was running a consulting business and I thought I would solve my clients' problems. That was what consultants did. You were smart and you went in and you looked at this and that and the other that they asked you to look at. In my case, it was medical practices. And then you saw problem areas. And then you came back with a report and told them what you could do for them to fix these problems. And they would hire you and you would fix them, but you couldn't. And the reason that the, and you couldn't, which I didn't understand until I got exposed to the three principles was that if they didn't think of it, it wasn't theirs. Even if they thought it was a good idea. So a lot of times, instead of uh, solving the client's problems, they just felt worse because they, they liked the solutions that we came up with, but they hadn't thought of them and their state of mind didn't support that. They, they, those weren't ideas that were familiar to them. That level of thinking wasn't familiar to them. So, so they would take a stab at implementing things that we would set up for them, but they, they just couldn't do it. And what changed for me, as soon as I saw what the nature of innate health and the idea of people having this within them, I realized my clients had better answers than I could come up with for their own problems. <laughs> but in the way they were thinking, they couldn't find them. They were so caught up in ruminating and stress and, and criti critical thinking and in analyzing everything that they never, they didn't understand how to reflect. And I changed my entire business. I changed from being a person who came in and identified your problems and gave you solutions to a person that came in and asked you if things could be different, what would you like to see change? And try to create a, create an experience for them in which they would quiet down and start reflecting 
And then they would say, well, you know, I think we ought to merge this and that, or I think we ought to buy a diagnostic center, or I think we ought to, you know, change office managers because our office manager isn't understanding people. And they would have these ideas and they could act on them because they thought of them on their own. They were insights. They had those insights. So it meant something to them. And as soon as it meant something to them, they could do it. And they would give us credit for it because it happened in our office while we were having our meetings. And they would say to me, gee, I love these meetings. Whereas they used to hate our meetings because I was just telling them what to do. (laughs) So it made my life a thousand times easier. And yet the clients were a thousand times happier because people are always Mm -hmm. happier when they see it for themselves. Mm -hmm. And that's that's the beauty, isn't it, about our that that space of innate health, if you will, because it, it's it's like we get the best ideas there. I mean, that space is inside of us, even if we're crazy. I've had some, you know, times in my life when I've been really stressed, and all of a sudden, this wisdom comes through me. Like I just drop into that state of being, and I don't recognize it, and boom, this mm-hmm. idea comes. Like Chris, what are you doing? It's like, oh, wait, what am I doing? Okay, yeah. I got to do something different. Now, I know when that happens that that didn't come from my little pea brain because my little pea brain was quite busy trying to do whatever was a bad idea. You know, I was trying to do something that was not good for me. And then my Mm -hmm. wisdom would pop in and say, Chris, what are you doing? I was like, yeah, what am I doing? Oh, what's going on? Wait, wait, wake up. And you kind of wake up, don't you? It's like that's that you wake up to what you know. And what you know is going to be perfect for you. You get up in your little pea brain and you come up with all kinds of things that look like good ideas that you get even like excited about, like, oh, that's a good idea. Oh, that's a good idea. But it doesn't really come from that place of knowing. But when we drop into that space, this in intelligence of the universe comes through. It's mm-hmm. like in the 12-step program, they talk about it as, Good for one, good for all. And when wisdom comes through us, when this intelligence comes through us, it works out for everybody. It's not just selfish, you know, like, oh, if you, I, I want to make a million dollars, so I'm going to screw this person over. That kind of good idea, that's not what mm-hmm. we're talking about. We're talking about a feeling of connectedness and being one and the wisdom that comes when we're in that space on the inside rather than up in our personal thinking our personal reality in a sense in our head. Yeah, that's, that reminds me of one of my sad but favorite stories about how this works in people. Sometimes you realize it too late, but uh, I was watching a television program which they were interviewing uh, young children who had shot people in a school. And this is before school shootings became a big thing. It was an unusual thing. So they, uh, it was, it was at that time, it was not common at all. And people were curious as to what was wrong with these people. And the last interview was with this young boy. He was so cute. He looked like Dennis the Menace. He had this big shock of blonde hair that kind of hung over one eye and and freckles. And he had, uh, was in prison for life. He was tried as an adult at the age of almost 16, not quite 16, and was sent to prison for life because he had walked into his school 
and uh, just mowed down uh, an assistant principal and uh, a teacher and shot up several students that were badly hurt and then uh, shot another person who was on the school staff and they turned, they became paraplegic. And it was a horrible thing. And he had been bullied and he had been, he had some problems with people at school. And he, at the end of the interview, the interviewer said, you know, I can't help but ask you this. You're in prison for a really long time. I mean, you're just a kid. You're here for the rest of your life. What do you think about every day? And he said, you know, I don't understand this, but here's what I think about. I remember that day in slow motion. And I remember going home to my grandparents' house for lunch. And I remember as I was getting ready to go back to school, I was in the closet getting my coat. And I noticed my grandfather's gun on the top shelf. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to shoot people. And I took that gun and I put it in my pocket and I took the bullets and I loaded the gun. And I was walking up the walk to school and I was really angry and I was determined. And this voice came into my head. I don't know where, I don't know who it was, but a voice came into my head and said, it's not too late. You don't have to do this. You're going to hurt a lot of people. You're going to ruin your life. You don't have to do this. And I said to myself, shut up. And I was so angry that I went into school and did it anyway. And I sit in prison and I wonder, who was that? And why didn't I listen? That's a great that, story, Judy. It's a beautiful story. And I just cried because that <clears throat> that young man just didn't know that that was his own wisdom talking to him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was trying, you know. Mm-hmm. And I always feel that way, that when I'm most upset and most, you know, acting out kind of, which we all do sometimes, I sometimes have those thoughts like, what are you thinking? Stop it. And I have to listen to that because that's my wisdom. That's, that's mm-hmm. the voice of, you know, the voice that saves us from doing dumb stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the deal, isn't it? Because, you know, we all, it's true. We all do get these goofy mm-hmm. thoughts. You know, like I remember sitting in my car and there's people in the crosswalk, you know, walking in front of me and the thought comes in my head, 10 points if I run them over. Like that's a homicidal thought, but when it comes in my head, I don't, I'm like, whoa, you better pay attention to what's going on here because yeah. I know that's an errant thought, right? And people have these kinds of thoughts that they'll think, oh, I could just drive my car off the bridge or mm-hmm. I could jump off of this high building. And yeah. 99.9% of the time, people don't act on them. But when a thought comes in your head and you don't know that you have wisdom, it's, it gets very compelling to people. So they go with their thinking because we're kind of taught to trust our little processing or our little thinker. And so we come up with ideas, new ideas, and we think they're pretty darn good. And then our wisdom is there coming in saying, you sure? Really? And that feeling that you get, that's like as people listen to that, then they'll, they'll I mean, they frequently all say, I just had a feeling to call you. I just had a feeling to do this. Or I knew I shouldn't have said that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like we know, we know that this is in us, but we haven't evolved enough to really identify it and to help other people to see that they have it inside of them, that it's not in their thinking. So we, we've created all this ability to process information, but we've lost sight of that ability to really listen. Mm. 
to our wisdom. And, you know, even when people report on it, sometimes they don't even realize what they're saying. It's like I, I was talking recently to a person who had been suicidal for a period of time recently. And um, and so I asked the person, well, what was it? You know, what, what was it that kept you from doing it? And the answer was, I, the first thing that occurred to me is like, who's going to put the baby to bed? <laughs> and I realized Oh, I, I can't, I can't commit suicide. Somebody's got to be there to put the baby to bed. Mm-hmm. Now that's, again, that's, that's sounds like kind of a wacko crazy thought. I mean, in the middle of a suicidal, you know, moment that a person would be saved by a thought like that, but that was the thought that person needed. It was very dedicated to the child. Mm-hmm. And that as soon as that thought came, he stopped thinking about himself and how miserable he was. And he thought about the baby. And and I'm sure that what you did was you pointed that out to him that that yeah. came from mm-hmm. within him that was his, that is healthy that part of him that's healthy is still there and actively working to like conform him but mm-hmm. because we're not you know like we get so caught up in our own personal negative thinking that we lose sight of it that's kind of what happens to people they're not listening anymore that's a beautiful mm. that's a beautiful story because you know everybody has moments like that when they they can identify that they knew something and they didn't know why they knew it. Yeah. And I when I look back on my life I can think of so many times that I've had random helpful thoughts. Sometimes I've acted on them, sometimes I haven't. But I I always considered it luck until I understood the principles. I would say to myself, "Oh, that was yeah. a lucky thing." Yeah, I'm glad I thought of that. But they, but it would never dawn on me that you know they would come to me while I was taking a walk or sitting in the bathtub or <laughs> not trying. Mm-hmm. You know, it's and often they were the answer to something that I really couldn't. I just didn't know what to do, and then I'd get this random thought out of, at a random moment. And instead of saying, "Wow, I need to cultivate that experience," what was it about what I was, you know, the state I was in that that left space for that thought? I would go, "Well, that was lucky." And just move on. Mm-hmm. But once I saw the principles at work, I realized, no, it's not just luck. It's what's always there for us when we least mm-hmm. expect it. And if we look for it in quietude, it comes. Well, even if we don't look to it in, in quietude, yeah. it comes anyway. It's just yeah. kind of, to me anyway, it's just being aware. Because I've had times when I've been totally, you know, like in a bad place. And yet it's there. Yeah. To me, that's the that's the beauty of it mm-hmm. is I don't have to do anything to get it, and that is trusting that then helps you to quiet down. So then that you get quieter, and mm-hmm. that that quietness then breeds more of it, right? It just like Absolutely. it, yeah. yeah. And that's kind so of this what is I a good time. Looking. Yeah, it's just to be quiet enough to allow it. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's um it's so incredible that we have this within us. It's just such an incredible thing. So I guess next time we should be talking about the principles, seeing as we've kind of alluded to them here. Absolutely. So stay tuned and we can catch you next week, I guess, huh? Absolutely. Yes. See you next week. Have a great week. 
We hope you heard something new and that you will continue to join us to challenge the prevailing thinking about the possibilities for health in everyone. To subscribe to the podcast, visit our website at psychologyhasitbackwards.com. 